The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was relationships, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Disciple Shift, How to Shift Your Church and Culture. That's where today's episode was recorded. And we've got a free giveaway that you can download by Jim Putman, who is one of the founders of the Relational Discipleship Network. He and his team have helped train thousands of pastors to make disciples in America and around the world. And he's released for our audience a primer for one of his books called The Death of Discipleship. In this book, Jim with his co-author describes the dynamics of pride and humility in discipleship and what godly submission looks like. You can download this for free by going to discipleship.org slash relational. That's discipleship.org slash relational. Now here's today's track session from the Relational Discipleship Network. What we've done is said, okay, if discipleship is like a journey, then you have to define what is the destination. Because if you don't uh, define spiritual maturity correctly, you get to the wrong place. So the first session, we talked about the destination, the bullseye, mature disciples, and we define what that was. Then the session two, we said, okay, our job as Christians, not pastors at this point, our job as Christians is to be an intentional leader. So you've got an intentional leader, and these these folks out, if you want to... Cr- train up and release disciples, wherever they go, they become intentional leaders so that they can invite somebody into the vehicle called relational discipleship. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the vehicle of relational discipleship. So the intentional leader drives the vehicle of intentional, uh, uh, the vehicle of relationship towards the destination. Next session, we're going to talk about the map, the stages along the way. If you're in where I live in North Idaho, the you want to go to Seattle, there are different towns along the way that kind of measure your, uh, it's I-90 is the road, and there are stages. You know, you, you go to a certain, you go a quarter of the way there, you're in one city. You go halfway there, you're in another. So it's kind of like this journey of, of going towards spiritual maturity. So we're going to talk about that next. Uh, stages of spiritual growth. We, we created a wheel that kind of shows how this works and how you can know where somebody's at. Because remember, yesterday we talked about an intentional leader is one who understands the journey. If you use coaching metaphor, they know the game. They're able to evaluate where people are at and then create an environment for spiritual growth. They know on the journey metaphor, they know the target. They know the journey, the stages, the road. They can create an environment for growth. And they know in the car, you might have a variety of different people in different stages. So you can't do the same thing with each person at the same time. So you individually coach, just like a parent. You, you can do some things with your 10-year-old, your 8-year-old, and your 6-year-old. But some things your 6-year-old cannot do. And some things you need to challenge your 10-year-old to do better that you, that you allow for your 6-year-old. So understanding that metaphor or that analogy, that's what we're trying to do, is teach people what is a disciple, how does it work, what's the destination, because again, most people have not been discipled. They, they've never, they don't even know, they kind of have a hodgepodge of, uh, of, for a definition of spiritual maturity, as I talked about last night. They have a, either a no definition, really, so they make up their own, or it's a partial definition, which affects their spiritual life. They don't know they're a disciple who can make disciples because the best they've ever been told is you come to church. That's it. If you were to ask, uh, Luke said this yesterday, uh, one of the things that we do, how many of your people in your church, if we ask pastors this, think they're disciples and oftentimes they'll raise their hand. Yeah, I'm a disciple. How many of them think they're actually disciple makers? And who do they think the disciple maker is? And they'll point to the pastor. We're all called to be and make disciples. But most people don't know that and, and they don't know how. All right, so this time we're going to talk about a relational environment, but I want to make one more uh, statement to you. Some people think, as pastors, that they were disciple makers until they became a pastor and they're not disciple makers anymore. They've graduated to running a system called the church. Okay, wrong. Don't, you cannot ask people to do something you don't do. You ask them to have a job, 
and to work 40 hours a week or whatever, and then come in and serve and, and make disciples. But then you say you've graduated past making disciples? No. I'm, I'm in a life group. I've led a life group. I branch life groups. I've, I'm making disciples every single day. My stories come from that. I get energy from that. I preach from that. I don't preach about a story about when I did something when I was 22 years old. I got stories right now. I don't ask people to do something I'm not doing. So do I have a job? Yes. But, it, it, but I'm making disciples. But secondarily, some people think, all right, I'm a disciple maker, so I'm going to make disciples. But your job as a leader is, yes, to make disciples, but you're also supposed to create a system by which other people can be discipled. So on the one side, you're making disciples, but you're also a coach who's creating a system so that everybody can be disciple. You're not just responsible for you. You are primarily first responsible for you and being a disciple maker. But you're also responsible for raising up a system where people can be discipled. I want as many people to be in as many vehicles with as many disciple makers shooting at, the bet, at this destination as I can release on a community. You see what I'm saying? So the last... Part of the series is, is called Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. How does Sunday fit in? But we're going to be talking about a whole system of how it all lines up where, yes, I'm in the system making disciples, but I've also helped to develop a system where discipleship is like a, a factory where it's working. Each, it's helping each person know how to do this. Does that make sense to you? All right, I'm going to have Luke come up now, and I'm going to have Luke tell his story. I could, I could tell you all about, I could list out, here are the components of a relational environment. But by telling Luke's story about how he went from a pagan, miserable, uh, worthless, no, <laughs> to, to, uh, to a disciple maker who, 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 um, now leads a network, and by the way, he leads a network of many, many, many churches, uh, all broken into small groups, where somebody who's led the disciple shift in their own church now coaches people to lead their churches in the change. So he's in charge of all of that, but he's also a life group leader in our church, because on our staff, and in our, you don't ever graduate past making disciples. If you can't do it, don't ask anybody else to do it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tie burdens on people's back that you yourself are not willing to lift a finger to help carry. It's a lack of integrity to ask people to do something you won't do. And ask them to be busier than you are. All right, so Luke, uh, why don't you tell your story so I can make fun of you. I mean, interview you afterwards. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, some of that might be true there, right there, huh? Um, so having... Uh, not growing up in the church. I'm going to share my story from this perspective. Uh, I was I was 32 year 32 33 years old before I came to know the Lord. So I'm going to come from the lost perspective and how I viewed the church and kind of how I walk through this this process. And so uh, the question I might ask you is this: one, as you listen to my story. If I was to go to your church, one, consider this. Would I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Would somebody have led me to Christ? And second, would you have ever considered putting me on staff? Okay, so as I share my story, think of those two things, okay? So um, a, little, a little bit of background might be helpful. Uh, I grew up uh, in the mountains of North Idaho, and... I didn't have uh, some of the, I didn't have running water or electricity, so I was raised in a tent, and uh, just by my mom, and I had an older brother, younger brother, so we were more on the survivalist side of things, and so we did hunt, hunted, we hunt, fished, and just lived off the land, so I didn't grow up with a dad, uh, my mom uh, just, for some reason, chose to take us up into the mountains and raise us that way, and so we never went to church, so I'd never been into a church building, so uh you could imagine, uh, for me growing up that way, I, uh, I didn't feel, I, I got my worth from performance. 
And I don't know why that got established that way, but that was just how it was. And so I didn't see the brokenness of some of those things at the time until much later, okay? So when I uh, moved out of our <laughs> shack, we called it, I just lived in my car. So I lived in my car. I got myself through uh, college by uh, hustling pool. So I got just good enough to make enough money to live in my car hustling pool. And so I did actually make a living. So if somebody says I made a living shooting pool, I'd highly doubt it because I did it. And I made just enough money to live in my car. Okay, so that tells you how good I was. I think it's a big, you know. Well, so I'm living in my car. I decide to start a company. I don't really know what to do. So uh, I, a company ends up hiring me and their sales. I end up doing pretty good in sales. Well, when I was in that company, I had an idea not to do the same thing that that company hired me to do, but I had an idea to do something different that wasn't in the marketplace at the time for, for me. So I started a company buying and selling backup power equipment, big generation, air conditioning, but I did it nationally and I started and it grew. And as it grew, uh, I was so committed to it because it was kind of me. It was me, it was my, I was my identity. And I was getting a lot of value and worth from that. Well then I ended up hiring a gal who ended up being my wife later. So um, my wife and I, uh, we get married and we end up, I end up selling my company and I'm still working there, okay? Now I'm the CEO, but now I have a lot of uh, pressure to add a whole bunch of profit to the bottom line. And so our marriage is not working. And so we get married, I'm under tons of pressure. I don't have a clue how to navigate marriage, okay? Because my mom had been married and divorced five times, okay? Her mom, seven times, okay? My dad, three times. My wife had already been married once before, before we got married. And so, and her, her folks have been married and divorced on each side once or twice. Okay, so you can see what was modeled for me was when things get tough, you just get a new wife. You just bail and you get a new one. Okay, so I have really no clue how to make it work. But because of my background and I have a high drive, I want to win. And so I refuse to get a divorce because to me that would be just not an option. I just don't want to do that. We didn't have kids at the time, so we're, uh, we're arguing and fighting each and every day, all day long. And I just wasn't expecting this. I pictured this marriage, and I don't know what I was thinking. And so uh, um, we, we, we don't know anybody in our world that has been married for very long. They've all been divorced. And so this is the lost world, right? This is the high divorce rate. And so I asked my wife, Casey, I said, hey, who do you know who's even been married more than 10 years? And so she identifies uh, a relative. We schedule a dinner. We sit down with dinner, and we're like, okay, how are you guys making it? I mean, we are fighting all the time. And, and uh, they said, well, this, is what, this was not the answer I expected. They said, well, we, here's what we do. We've been married for 25 years, Luke and Casey. We, we put God right in the center of our marriage. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I don't, you know, so I go, we got to go find some building. That's what I thought. That's what I heard. I got to go find some rules. <laughs> I got to get all religious, you know. And I'm willing to try things. So I was like, okay. Well, I mean, I'd hired many counselors, many, many counselors by this point. So I'd throw in, money wasn't the issue, right? I'm throwing plenty of money at the marriage to try to get it to work. It's not working. So I'm, I'm at the last straw kind of deal. So this is what it's like. This is where we're at. We decide to go check out uh, a church. Well, I don't know any churches. So I call a friend of mine who I know is kind of a religious dude. And he goes, hey, go check out this church. And it's the church he goes to. And I said, oh, no, 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 not, not that one. And he goes, well, why not? And I said, well, we called them to get married. They wouldn't even marry us. On the phone, they said, hey, have any of you guys been married or divorced before? And I said, yeah, my wife has. And on the phone, they said, yeah, we won't marry you. And so I said, well, we're definitely not going to that church. And he was like, oh, our church did that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was your church. And so anyway, so we just went to a church building. I don't even remember the denomination. We just found a church. There's cars in the parking lot. So we went in, and, and here, here was the experience, okay? This is, this is what this looks like from the lost perspective. So when we went in, um, it had a, a, a very particular smell, okay? It did smell like dead old people, okay? <laughs> I'm just, yeah, okay? And, and, and so that was a just, I wasn't expecting that. I don't know what I was expecting. I'd never been into a the church before. And so everybody was dressed pretty nice and it was kind of quiet. We walked in and then they had all those hard pews. I'd only seen those on TV. I'd never seen them in real life. And so we stand there and I feel like I'm standing in somebody's spot. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're kind of like looking at me and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, this is awkward. 
it's totally awkward, right? Then the, uh, the music's playing, okay? And everybody starts to clap. Well, I don't know the music. I'm not going to clap. Like, I don't even know how. I'm just standing there looking. My wife starts clapping, you know, and I'm thinking, she doesn't, I, I turn around, you don't even know the song. You don't even know the song. <laughs> and she's all, you know, and I'm like, oh, she fell for the peer pressure. Here we go. <laughs> already, already it's happening, right? <clears throat> and so the guy, this guy gets up, he's apparently the, the pastor, and he starts uh, speaking, and he goes, get out your Bibles, and I don't have one, and I've all the places I've been, they don't sell them. So, okay. And so uh, there's a Bible in front. And so I pull it out. And I thought, that's kind of cool. And, you know, and I pull it out. Well, then he's talking. And I'm trying to find. He's Matthew. And I'm going to the index. And then page, you know, 1400. And I get to 1400. He's on to John. And I'm like, oh, my God. Going back to John. And I just... And then he's going all through the Bible. He's saying all these huge words. You know, he's saying like the word flesh. Like I'm like, your flesh is doing this. Your flesh is doing that. I'm like, what, what building did we go into? Like maybe I should have paid attention, right? He starts talking about, he's using words like, I still don't know if this is a word, perpetuation? Is that a word? Perpetuation, yeah. He's just using words that I've never even heard before. And I, I don't understand most of what he says. And then he's done speaking. And so uh, the band gets up, starts playing again. Everybody starts clapping. And so I'm standing there this whole time going, okay, I'm, I'm here to save our marriage, right? You put God in the center of your marriage. Now, I can do the, the logical part of this, right? So uh, the, the service is over. Everybody walks out. We just follow everybody, just like kind of like cattle. I'm just following them, right? We end up out in the parking lot, standing next to our car. And I turned to my wife and I said, if this is God, if this is God, and putting, if this is putting God in the middle of our marriage, there's no way this is going to work. I mean, it wasn't, it, I mean, I had a company, I built it, had plenty of staff, had a dozen locations nationally. I know what it takes to hit a target. That is not going to fix our marriage. There is no way that routine equals our marriage is better. Okay? So I'm kind of at a, I'm at a loss, right? So we tried one more church building, exact same experience. Okay, there was nothing different. Music was the same. And if you're a worship arts person yeah, in here, I'm not trying to be offensive. I like worship, I like worship now, now, much later, much later for me. For much me. later. Much the later. Appreciation came much later much on the music, later on side. music side. So, so we try one more church building. Same experience. Okay, then I'm done. I'm done doing the God in the center of your marriage thing. And one of our, one of my staff gals that I hired was really good. She closed me. She said, "Hey, you need to go check out Real Life Ministries. This is a new church. You go check it out." And I was like, "No, no, no." But I hired her in sales, and she closed me. So we decided to <laughs> to go check out Real Life Ministries, another church building. And so I remember my wife and I fought all the way there, all the way there. And we walked in. I'm going to describe some things that were different. So we walked in, uh, people were dressed normal, because Sunday was my day. When you're lost, I mean, I mean, you don't know the Lord, Sunday's your day, every day of the week's your, your day, right? So for me, I was just dressed normal. I walked in, there was kids running around, you know, it smelled like coffee, that was nice, I gotta be honest with you. I was like, oh, that's pretty smart, right? Well, somebody shook my hand right away, said, hey, glad, glad you're here, you know, and they gave me a bulletin. And I was like, hmm, like, this guy's kind of friendly, you know. About 10 feet more, somebody else shook my hand. Hey, glad you're here. I was like, that's pretty smart. I mean, from a business perspective, that's just my mindset, right? I'm thinking, are my salespeople calling their customers twice a week, right? I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, I'm just kind of walking through, just, you know. And so I get the bulletin. I'm looking through it. It kind of listed out some things, scripture. That was nice to have some of the scriptures in there. And so uh, we walk in. Music, the music's playing, same thing. Here the band's playing. I'm like, oh, oh here we go. Right, so I'm standing there. I'm not clapping. My wife's still clapping. Nice. <laughs> okay. And then uh, the pastor gets up there. <laughs> Jim gets up there. And I, and I So we so went, we to, went college. to college. This is just pre-Christ. This is pre-Christ. Oh, yeah, this oh, is yeah, where I get even. even. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So, so Jim, I see this guy, and I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> like, we went to college together. And so, uh, <laughs> I, he's kind of, I just picture, like, he's the pastor. I mean, I just remember chuckling because you were a little wild and crazy in college. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, whoa. And so, here, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you have a holy filled moment? <laughs> you did, didn't want to even go there. Okay. Um, um, so, so, so Jim gets up and he says some things that were completely different uh, that, was, that was helpful. So he says, hey, I want to talk about the purpose of the church. And so I thought, man, this would be good. At this point, I'm pretty confused. I mean, the, I mean, I don't really understand other than the routine. 
So he says, hey, the purpose of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. And he goes, now, if you don't know Jesus, that's your first step. And he goes, now, let me ask you this. He goes, if you don't know the Lord, he goes, do you think it's my job to lead you to the Lord? I looked around. There's about 250 people in the building at the time. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, because we just passed the bucket. And everybody paid you to do that, right? I mean, <laughs> I didn't put my money in. <laughs> so I didn't pay you. Right? Everybody paid you to do that. And so I'm waiting for his answer, right? This is good, right? And so he goes, no, no. He goes, how can I possibly, if 300 of you didn't know the Lord, how can I possibly lead each and every one of you to the Lord? He goes, what we feel is each and every one of you, here's what he says, each and every one of you should know the Lord. So if you don't know the Lord, maybe it's the person who invited you. Maybe it's their role to lead you to the Lord. Or maybe it's your home group leader. If you're plugged into a home group, maybe it's the home group leader can help in that. And he goes, now, if you're not in a home group, he goes, that's where we feel discipleship happens best. So we believe you need to get into a home group. So what I heard is getting to my next step, getting a group. I didn't hear Jesus, Lord and Savior, because for me, I was already saved. You see what I'm saying? I'm Christian right? I hadn't killed anybody, right? I'm going to heaven. So I'm already Christian, just like my mom was Christian too. And my dad was Christian. So anyway, so uh, we're leaving the church building and we're walking out in the lobby and there was a guy comes up and he goes, Luke, and he recognized me from high school. And he's like, you go to church here? <laughs> and I said, that's my first time. And he goes, oh man, that's great. He goes, uh, you, should, uh, you should come to our home group. And what I heard was Bible study, you know, and I said, okay, uh, well, tell me about it. And he goes, well, you know, we, it's really relational. We'll hang out. We'll learn about God's word. We'll get to know each other. And I was like, hmm, the whole time I'm thinking, God, I mean, I didn't, know, I didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. I didn't know the Holy Spirit's prompting, drawing. I didn't know any of that stuff. Okay. So my wife comes up and she goes, well, what are you guys talking about? Oh, we're talking about, we're getting invited to this home group. She's like, oh, you want to go? And I'm like, oh, I don't have a Bible. I don't know where you even get one. And so uh, I went over to one of the staff people, and I said, hey, uh, where, where, would I, where would I get a Bible? We got invited to this home group. I'm thinking about going, but I don't own a Bible, and I don't know where you would get one. <laughs> not, not anywhere I've been. And so he goes, hang on, I'll be back. So he runs upstairs, and he, gone, he comes back, and he, he goes to hand this thing to me, and it's like this thick. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm thinking, he thinks I'm one of those smart people, right? He's like, okay, I want to give this to you, but I don't want to offend you. And I want to, you know, and I'm like, just give me the thing, you know. So he goes, hand it to me. It's all in color. And I'm like, this is cool. Because I'm 33 years old at the time, right? So I'm going, this is awesome. And he goes, hey, he goes, I just want you to know this is a children's Bible. And so, so, so I, got, I got my children's Bible. I'm headed off to a home group, right? Okay. So now that night... I had from now, that was a Sunday, until Wednesday, to, and I, I'm going to catch up with everybody else. So I'm, I'm going through this baby, right? I got three days to catch up, right? And I'm going through it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of fighting in the Bible. That's the first thing that stood out with the children's Bible. And so we, we go to home group. It's Wednesday night. We pull up, and I got my children's Bible. My wife goes, you are not taking that in there. And I'm like, what? You know, and so I leave it on the seat, we go into the thing. So uh, Tim and Shari were our home group leaders. And he called me ahead of time, gave me directions, talked to me a little bit, made sure I was still coming, you know, which I didn't really want to go. But again, we were fighting most of the day and night. So we go to home group. And here's what I love. Uh, Tim uh, uh, created an environment that was uh, friendly. We got there. It was a lot of food. It was hanging out, chilling. And then we got into this, uh, the, the, the God's word. But there was a lot of, uh, it felt, it was different. I thought it was going to be a very staunch classroom setting. No, we're in his living room. And it was very comfortable. So that was nice. Well, he's telling the story. i got to share this piece with you. Because somebody dared me to share this last time. Uh, um, the sharing, the, sharing the story of the three guys that get thrown into the fire. I'd never ever even heard this story before, right? So I don't. And they're saying the names so fast that I cannot understand what they're saying. Okay, but in my world, we grew up, as you know, in uh, tents and, and shacks, and so that's my context. Okay, so they're saying the names so fast. My wife and I are kind of whispering, and she goes, "Well, you ask," and I'm like, "No, you ask." And then I said, "Okay, hey Tim, I got a question." And there's 20 people in this group, and I'm the new guy. So I'm going to reveal all of my theological proudness right now with this question. You can feel the tension, right? So I said, hey, I got a question for you. And so Tim goes, yeah, Luke, what, what's your question? I said, are you saying what I think you're saying? And he says, well, 
what do you think we're saying, Luke? And I said, okay. I said, are you saying my shack, your shack, and to bed we go? <laughs> yep. That's pretty much what they did right there. That was pretty much, yeah, yeah. My shack, your shack, and to bed we go. I did, I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a great moment. Yeah, everybody knew I pretty much had my MDiv right there at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So it was a little awkward, as they explained to me. That's not what was being said, okay? <clears throat> and so here's what I love about what Tim and Shari did. They, they got to know us. They pressed into us, and they recognized we didn't know the Lord. You know, we were far from the Lord, and my lifestyle was far from the Lord. And so what Tim did is Tim pursued me, and he invested in me. And I can tell you this. Do you have the picture of uh, my little family? So here's what's cool. <clears throat> And so I haven't, my wife built this collage right before we flew here, so I don't know. So top left, my, my middle boy, Jacob, then Riley, my daughter. Down below is my wife and myself, and then here's my three kids, and then there's Grandpa, top right. Okay, so this is before any of our kids, okay? So I didn't know what was at stake. Tim did. Tim knew our marriage was at stake. Eternity in heaven or hell was at stake. And so he took it seriously. And so he made time for me. He led me to the Lord. And for me, I don't know if you know this. I mean, did you guys, if you grew up in a Christian home, that's so cool. That's what I want for my kids. But I went 32, 33 years without the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what that was. And so when Tim's telling me, you can get the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit can come and live in you. I was like, come on, there's no way. I never even heard this before. And so when you get the Holy Spirit, man, holy cow, it's amazingly powerful. And suddenly... Our marriage starts to heal from the inside out. So I had to do a lot of dying to self because I was so good at being all about me, which was, could you imagine that? Some marriage issues. If she would just be all about me, it would be perfect. <laughs> I thought that's the way marriage was, right? I'm 100% about me, and then she learns to be 100% about me. And so I'm having to die to self. And so um, <laughs> I'm having to ask Tim all these questions. So we went to church on Sunday. I missed a lot of Sundays, but I never missed home group. And I had a lot of questions for Tim. Whatever, whatever Pastor Jim was saying, I, most of the time I was trying to figure out, okay, what does that mean? So I would go to home group and I would ask Tim, okay, I heard this on Sunday. What does this mean? I asked him questions like, is what Oprah is saying true? She believes this. Is that true? So I asked him a lot of questions. Tim was just a volunteer. He was just an electrician, full-time electrician, but he understood the target of, we're, we're trying to make the mature disciple makers. He also understood that his role is to be a coach, and he's investing in me. He's an intentional leader. He also understood the advantage of a relational environment. So he was creating a relational environment in his home. He's also being relationally environment with me. He was being real and honest and transparent. I don't think I would have opened up to him about my marriage had he not been real and genuine and authentic and set the bar. He didn't go teacher, student, even though he did teach me a ton. Don't get me wrong. But he didn't position himself like that because that would have been kind of awkward. Like I just wanted somebody that I could relate to. And so uh, I love Tim and Shari. It's cool. They opened up their home to us, and we ended up doing vacations together. We ended up uh, doing basketball together. Now, he didn't invest as intensely in me as he did everybody, everybody the same in the group. He made a lot of time for me as a couple and one other couple in, in our group. He had some other people in the group that invested in some of the other people, if that makes sense. So he didn't look at the group and say, he's going to now disciple everybody like he did me. He noticed I was, we were lost and we needed some serious uh, help. And so here's what I love about uh, that family picture is now I'm a first generation Christian and so is Casey, my wife. So we're getting to change an entire legacy. And so, man, what we have is amazing. Mm. And so for me, when I sold my company, I retired early. And this is what I've given my life to, is, is being a disciple maker in my own backyard. I get to lead people to the Lord in my own backyard. And I get to walk beside them and see them grow in Christ. Christ does all the heavy lifting from the inside out, right? I just get to, I have to play a part though. And so it's so cool that I get to play a part. And I'm so thankful that real life, the first two churches, it was Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. They didn't realize that disciple making Sunday fits into a disciple making mindset, not the reverse. You can't fit all the disciple making into Sunday, 
right? So what I love about real life is they saw that it needs to be disciple. We're all disciple makers. And so Tim, as a volunteer, understood his role. And so I'm so thankful that real life created that environment for my wife and I. And uh, I can't imagine our marriage wouldn't have made it. We have an amazing marriage now. I didn't know the strength of the Holy Spirit. You could imagine we went one year, we were married before we actually went into uh, real life. My wife, this, she's not here, she's like kind of just slightly thrown her under the bus, just a little bit under the bus. Okay. We, you could imagine, she accepted Jesus before I did, maybe about three weeks. And the, what really helped me kind of get over the hump on this one was she actually, for the first time ever, just said, man, I'm sorry. And we had went a whole year. Those words had not came out. It was too much pride for her. I had my issues too, don't get me wrong. But when she said to me, man, I am sorry, I stopped and I was like, okay, what's going on? Like, how did this happen? She's like, I don't know. I just feel like I need to say that. And I was just like, whoa. I staggered back. The strength of the Holy Spirit was able to do inside of her. We'd hire counselors. We'd try to, all of a sudden, she says this. I'm like, whoa. That was very tangible. Well, I got to see the changes in her, just like she could see the changes in me of what the Holy Spirit was doing. And so for me, I don't think there's anything better. We have the best role Man, we have the best role, don't we? We get to further God's kingdom. We get to see lives being transformed. And so for me, it's very energizing. So for me, this is what I, I get to do. This is so cool, right? I mean, we get to do this together. And so I get really excited. So I've gotten the opportunity to lead a lot of my friends to the Lord and have them walk through the same, like, oh, my goodness, kind of pieces. So it's, it's the best. It's the best. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Great job. So after you had been in life group for a while, uh, how did, what was that next step? Because I know it wasn't that long after all that, that you ended up leading the group. Tell me, tell me about how that worked. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So this, that's so funny. Uh, I forgot about that. So uh, our group was 20. Like I said, we had a big group and so they, they needed a branch. And so at that, we called it branch instead of split. I didn't know that it sounds better to say branch than split. And so Tim goes, Luke, he goes, uh, he goes, I know you're pretty young in your walk. He goes, uh, uh, but, you know, you have your leadership capability. You're not spiritually, maybe not that super far along yet, but I think you could lead a group. And I was like, no way. There's no way I'm leading a group. And he's, he's like, hey, we'll, we'll give you somebody in your group that's really biblically savvy. He'll help answer a lot of your questions. And, he, and so Tim goes, in fact, uh, Nick has specialized in apologetics. And so when we leave, we get in the car, I turn to my wife and I go, man, they must think I'm going to do a terrible job. They gave me somebody who specializes in po apologizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, my, and my, wife, my wife says, I don't think that means what you think it means. And I'm like... I took it humbly. Hey, we're going to give you a guy that specializes in apologetics. I was like, wow. That's one way to encourage somebody, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it was kind of, yeah. And so, uh, so Tim did say, hey, Luke, you got, you got, you need to go to 101. And so I was like, what's 101? And he goes, well, 101 is going to, the church, real life's going to walk you through some very key things on uh, vision, mission, what they believe, all these pieces, what it means. And so it was really cool. So I went through 101, and at the time they had a 201. The 201 I went through as well was the disciple-making wheel. That's what we're going to cover in our next session. What was cool about that was Tim, and he went with me. It was really cool. He went with me because I think he thought I might not go, <laughs> I think. But he went with me to these different classes. This class was more of a relational environment as well. We asked a lot of questions. And so I sat through it. Here's the interesting part is I didn't have a lot of theological beliefs. I mean, I didn't ever. I mean, I was like, as we walked through it, I was like, makes sense. Okay. Makes sense. So later I found out a lot of those uh, theological classes are designed for the people that have been Christians for a long time and went all over the place. So they're trying to align more of the longer theological Christian people. So it was easy for me to go through and go, yep, makes sense. I'm in. I just want to further the kingdom. I want to lead people to the Lord. And yep. So you, you got your first group. And who did you invite to your first group? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was hoping nobody would show. Does that make sense? But my wife, oh my goodness, my wife is very uh, relational. 
It's very relational. Social relational, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So right away, this, this she invited all of our friends. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, uh, uh, yeah, so here we are. I'm trying to lead the group. And right away, I got people that don't know the Lord in the group. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I got the opportunity to lead a lot of our friends to the Lord. I got to share this one story. This is one little story. It's an older story. Yeah, okay, yeah. But back. So uh, John, and, John and Kim... Um, He's only coming to group. He's a, I do the extreme snowmobiling. Like you do, you build out your snowmobiles and you do the cornice jumping and you do all this, a lot of avalanche. And so, uh, he had, we had just lost, this is kind of a sad part of the story, but we had just lost another friend. This is our third friend that we lost in avalanche. And it took that for John to just break. And so now John is like, he's like, and it was a, it was a very emotional time. Well, I've invited him to church before, but he always says the same thing. Hey, church will burn down if I ever walk in. Church will burn down. Well, I invited him to home group, and I just told the group, I said, hey, I'm inviting John here. I just want you to know that he doesn't know the Lord. He does Kim, and I'm not putting on the group to lead John to the Lord. I think I'll have an opportunity, I'm hoping. But let's pray. But why are we doing group? Like, why would we do group? Because I have people in the group now that are pretty new, and I'm trying to, well, is this a Bible study? I'm like, yeah, we're going to learn about God's word for sure. Yeah, that's part of it. But also, we're going to learn about each other this way. And it's also an environment we can invite people that don't know the Lord. And so I said, and my friend John is rough. Just let you know. Kind of give him forewarning. And so uh, uh, our group is ready for John and Kim. And I open up the door, and John just walks right by me. And he walks down in our living room because he views Christians. I'm the exception to the rule. He's like, you're the exception to the rule. He goes, but most Christians are hypocritical, judgmental. I mean, he just goes down the list. So he's going to prove to me that's Christians. So he walks right past me, walks down into our living room and he says, and there's two gals sitting on the couch. I haven't even introduced him. There's two gals sitting on the couch and he goes, oh, look, two lesbians. First thing he says, he's trying to blow up and had get all yelled at and then he could leave. Right. These two gals chuckled and just the whole group kind of laughed and he was just kind of like, he was not prepared for that. The group understood, we want this guy to stick, right? He needs to stick, right? And so then he stayed in that group for over two years. Him and Kim came to know the Lord and now they're doing the best to raise their grandson who, and it's a long story, but yeah. So when you, um, what kind of support did you get from the church, from Tim, from everybody as you led that group? Because there was all kinds of things you didn't know. Yeah, that was a, so I was calling Tim all the time. Hey, Tim, what does this mean? How do I do this? What does this look like? And Tim was just a volunteer. So some of the things he had been through, he could answer. Some of the things he was like, man, Luke, let me, let me call a staff person. So he would call a staff person and he'd get back to me. Eventually over time, I started talking to some of the staff people as well. And so uh, it was nice to know that I could call Tim. And then Tim had, he just said, Luke, just say this, man, I don't know, but I'll find out. So I, I developed those words a lot as I was leading. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll find out. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you, tell me the journey about how you ended up uh, at, the, at the church. Yeah. So, uh, so this, is, this is where Jim's little hustling side of scouting, developing. So uh, Jim had got my name um, from somebody. I don't know. I didn't know Jim still this time. And so I got a call from Jim, and Jim goes, hey, you know, I'd love to, Luca, you're a business guy, I'd love to invite you to this meeting, it's an elder kind of business meeting, love to get your thoughts on it. And so I was like, oh, wow, from the pastor, that's kind of cool, yeah, I'll check it out. So I go to this meeting, it's about an hour and a half, and I kind of gave my thoughts during the meeting, and I don't really remember what the meeting was about, but afterwards, Jim uh, wanted to meet with me, and he asked me some thoughts, and about this, about that, and then he goes, hey, would you, would you be interested in doing that again, if we needed you to give your thoughts? I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'm still running the business, CEO. I'm still buried in work. And then he invited me again to come and and to this meeting. And as I was doing it, he said, hey, Luke, he goes, you got some really good uh, leadership giftings. You know, he goes, would you mind uh, maybe investing a couple of the staff on leadership stuff? And I was like, what do I have to offer? I mean, these guys are all pastors. I'm just some business dude, you know. He said, no, 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 you got to, you, you know, you're walking with the Lord, you're growing. He goes, you, maybe, maybe uh, there's a, st- just find a staff person you could invest in. So I, I invested in uh, two people, Jimmy and, and Aaron, on a leadership wise. So I didn't realize at the time what Jim was doing was doing the scouting and recruiting side of things, creating a place for me to play debriefing, kind of hearing what I was thinking and saying, and slowly kind of getting a lay of the land of who I was and what God was doing inside of me. 
and given me a chance to kind of uh, uh, grow. Well, over time, Jim said, uh, hey, would you be interested in coaching some of our executive folks? Because he kind of got some feedback. It was going well. And so then I was like, man, I don't know. What does that look like, you know? And he's like, well, you know, just a little bit more. And so I just gave a little bit more time, invested a little bit more. And I was like, man, this, this kingdom stuff is pretty cool. You know, I was making money, but it wasn't that exciting anymore. You know, I mean, working with people, seeing people come to the Lord, know the Lord was really rewarding. And getting to see Christ change people from the inside out was the bomb. I mean, it was it for me. So I was sold. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And so then Jim asked me, hey, would you pray about uh, coming on staff full time? When he called me, here's the irony of this. Uh, my board, um, I was just getting fired at the time, um, which is kind of hard to get fired from your own company. When I sold my company, I had a three-year contract. Two and a half years into it, I'm not performing you know, the bottom line to the depth that they wanted to for their investors. And so it's very typical, but it's kind of hard to share. It's not, it's kind of blow to the pride, but it was like, I'm getting fired. Well, right when I'm getting fired, um, my cell phone rings and normally I wouldn't answer my phone, but I just was kind of caught off guard with the firing, you know? And so I'm like, hang on, this is an important call. You know? And so it's Jim and Jim goes, Hey Luke, I really want you to pray about, this is the first time he said this coming on staff full time. And I said, you know, Jim, normally I would say, no, I, I'm too busy. I go, but I might have more time on my hands right now. <laughs> so um, as I'm, I'm thinking through this process, let's just identify a couple of things. It was a volunteer who invited you into his home and, and into his life. He spent time in your life. Um, how did Tim come to believe, you think, that that was his role and his responsibility to do that, that he was free to do that, he could be confident to do that? How did you think that happened? Yeah, you know, that was interesting because I, I kind of, now looking back, was so appreciative that Tim had to hear from Jim, from the process being built, that Tim was not just a disciple, but he was also a disciple maker. So he saw his role as a disciple maker and saw leading a group, he should create a relational environment where lost people and Christian people can be part of. And he saw his role to invest and to disciple people. And what was kind of cool, so when I went from being just being a disciple, it was all about me and I loved to just take it in. It was awesome. And then I need to start giving this back. I need to start discipling, start investing in people. Well, I had to mature to a certain point to really understand that because I was just all about me and just fixing my marriage. And I was pretty much an infant in Christ. Tell, tell me about, I remember um, the story about the argument you and your wife got in about the, um, uh, yeah, about the, uh, you went and got, was it like a, your haircut or something? And, and tell me about that conversation, how it happened. It, yeah, this was a, thank you for bringing that up. Um, um, yeah, so this is an example of uh, Tim kind of walking me through some pieces. And this is, this is why I think it's so important. I was not ever going to ask Jim this question, okay, because Jim's the pastor and he's, he's kind of, he's busy. And so I asked Tim, I said, hey, Tim, I go, I need your advice on something. My wife and I are arguing and, and uh, we had accepted the Lord Okay, so, but you can't really tell, even though now I'm an infant in the Lord, but I still have the same habits, right? It's not like, poof, all that sin in my life is gone, right? It's still there. Well, so, uh, I mean, man, I, I mean, my habits, I get them removed. So if you're theologically thinking that through, I know I'm, okay. Anyway, um, so, but I still have these behaviors. I still have these, uh, these uh, sinful desires. Well, so I brought this up to Tim. I said, hey, Tim, I go, here's what we've been arguing about. I go, you know, my wife is really upset, and I go, here's why. Last night, I was getting my hair cut. I always get my hair cut, same place. And I go, and the shop was closing. And it's a gal that's cutting my hair. And uh, yeah, she's cute, you know. And the shop closed, and it's just her and I in there. And we're talking about her sex life. We're talking about my sex life. I come home. I tell my wife. Well, she goes, why were you so late? It's always in this great conversation. You know, I'm talking to this gal about. She's like, you're what? And I'm like, yeah. And I say to Tim, can you believe she's really upset over this? You know, and Tim is like, hmm, what I, right? So, 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 yeah, so what I love about Tim is he met me right where I was at. Here's what he didn't do. Okay, this would have not worked. If he where I was at in the Lord, he couldn't have went to the Bible, opened it up, and just started reading scripture at me. That wouldn't have worked for where I was at spiritually. Later, as I grew more, it was really helpful. Later, I could go, 
Oh, where's that in scripture? He could show me. Back right then, I was so new in the Lord, I was like, okay, now he was giving me some godly counsel. And he started mentioning, the, here's what it says in God's word. But I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Tim, what would you do? So Tim, because he led me to the Lord, I was looking at Tim more for the guidance. I wasn't looking at like, this is God's word, and it's inerrant, and it's true. And I wasn't there yet. You, it, that conversation didn't happen in a four-year on Sunday morning. It didn't happen in a Sunday school class. It didn't even happen in the life group meeting. Where did it happen? Yeah, it was at his house. Yeah, I, oh, it might have been a coffee shop. I can't remember. I called him and just said, hey, I need to talk to you. So he actually didn't go, hey, I'll see you next Wednesday night at home group and we'll discuss it in the main group. The environment was, there was something besides the service, something, but a lot of people want to go, the life group is where, I'll just add one more hour, it's really Sunday school, but it's at a house. This was an ongoing relationship that he had with you. And so the environment was you and him having a conversation somewhere else at another time. Yeah, it was nice that he made time. I felt uh, he cared about me. If he would have invited me to a class where I was at, I just wouldn't have went. Um, it was all about me, and I just wouldn't have went to a class. So what I was thankful for is that I had somebody to walk beside me after being baptized. He didn't see his role as just to lead me to the Lord and we're done and send me off to a class. Not that a class is bad, but he walked beside me and didn't rely on the class. How many times did you miss church and youth group during that whole time. So whatever these contacts were, what did he do when you would miss? Yeah, it was funny because uh, whenever I made it, which wasn't as often as I made home group, I'd always let him know, hey, made it to church because <laughs> I wanted to check that counts, right? That counts, right? But anytime I wasn't there, he didn't see me there. He called me, hey, how you doing? Didn't see you at church. Ah, yeah, I was dirt biking or I was doing this. And I just let him know, yeah, I just picked this over that. He's like, okay. And what he didn't do is go, well, and start guilting me. He didn't guilt me. He, he understood his part. There's God's part and there's my part. And he just encouraged me, and he gave me tons of grace. All right, so as I'm, I'm kind of downloading this story, um, what are some of the components of a relational environment that you've picked up from this? When we're talking about a vehicle, remember, you need an intentional leader uh, who is directing a relational environment towards a goal of spiritual maturity, right? What are some of the things that stand out to you guys about that environment? Eyeball to eyeball. It was safe. Yeah, let me ask you this. Um, how Did Tim do anything uh, to, to make it so that you felt like it was okay to share with him what was really going on? Yeah, he shared out of the gate just, you know, where he's at, where he was at his marriage, some of the struggles they had. So I was really shocked because I thought Christians were claiming to be perfect I didn't know that a Christian was actually making mistakes. So in my mind, the reason I thought every Christian was hypocritical, because I thought every Christian was claiming to be perfect. So he was like, he shot that belief down. I had all kinds of beliefs that weren't even true about Christians. So he helped me walk. So when he shared stuff about his marriage, I was like, okay, wait a second. So you have issues too. He was like, yeah. I said, okay, but you're, you're, you're claiming to be Christian. And he's like, yeah, what, do you, what do you think? You know, and I, he just walked me through some stuff. It was really helpful. So when you started to see what a Christian really was instead of what you thought they were, Jesus became more attractive to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had, I had people that were Christian that uh, would, I definitely have been judged many times by this point by Christians. And so I was definitely f thinking he would be judging me. But because he was so grace-filled, it was breaking down the walls of where I was at. Yeah, I would say it this way. Uh, one thing that I really appreciated about uh, um, now understanding, having went through the process and system, when I was asking you earlier, would I come to know the Lord at your church? This, this particular part of the strategy, like I came out of a business mindset, and we would identify the target we're going after, okay, who's the buyer, and then we'd figure out what, are their, what, what, what triggers them to buy, and then we would build the systems and a process to make sure that those things happen so they would buy, correct? That's kind of human natural behavior, okay? In the church world, I was so shocked to see that we, the church building would rely on an altar call, not bad, awesome, that should be the bonus side of it. That should be like the customer service. You know, if you're in sales and somebody just calls in and wants to buy, that's like a, we call that a bluebird. You're like, oh, it's just bonus. That's just awesome. That's bonus. But you wouldn't build your strategy on that. 
Does that make sense? So in the church world, when I was seeing the altar call, and that's, man, you know, and, and I found only 2% of the churches have new conversion. Well, then I saw that was the strategy, was the altar call. I would definitely do an altar call, but consider that bonus. So I was so thankful that Tim and, the, and saw his role is to lead people to the Lord, not rely on the altar call, because I don't know if I would have had, I mean, for me personally, maybe the Holy Spirit would have drew me up there, but he didn't. Yeah, one of the things that I love is um, watching people who won people to the Lord baptize them. Why would we take away the privilege that they've earned by sharing Christ? And, you know, one of the things we always say is, look at the hands of the people that are here. These people brought you to Jesus, and these people are going to continue. You're, you're probably part of a family. When you're born, you have a family that are going to walk you through these things. And, and that's important for you because you didn't have a family, yeah. really. This, this became your family, and it started a new generation a new new thing in your life and and uh you know the reason that Luke does this isn't because we offered him more money but I, I gotta say this so I, I brought home my uh my first paycheck right from ministry and I showed my wife and she goes well, what's this and I go huh this is my pay she goes no seriously and I go no seriously this is my paycheck not bad just ministry's different right it's just I mean yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I got to show this one little story. Okay, this is kind of a... Okay, so we're in home group. Okay, we're in home group. I'm leading group. We're several years down the road, and I'm leading group, and I'm, I'm super excited to lead group now. Here's what I say in my group. If you're in my home group, this is what I would say. I'd say, hey, man, thanks for, my, thanks for coming to group. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, I'd ask, hey, why, why do we do group? Why, why are we doing this? And I just want to hear to see how good I'm doing as a leader with clarity of the vision. No matter what I hear, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Yep, that's part of it. Good, good, good. And I'll say, here's why we're doing this. Yes, we want to uh, be a disciple of Jesus. We want to make disciples of Jesus. And we're going to learn about that over the course of time. That's why we're part of the reasons we're getting together. We're going to learn about the Lord. We're going to learn about each other. And over the course of time, we're going to start to move from maybe strangers to semi acquaintances to acquaintances to semi-friends to friends. So we're going to do the, hopefully the same thing with the Lord. So if you already have a great walk with the Lord, great. If you don't, we're going to learn. We're going to learn about that. We're also, so what does it mean to be a disciple? What does that mean? And we're going to learn about that over this course of time. And so the people are like, hmm. Then I say, you know what? What's the importance of relationship? I say this, every group. What is the importance of relationship? And where does relationship come into play with maturity? Where does that fit? And we're going we're gonna to learn about that too. Well, I had a, a, a couple in my group, and it was a gal. She's really sharp. She's got a PhD. She teaches at a college, and she's super sharp. And she just wants to go to theology all the time. So she's very heady. And I couldn't get her. It was really hard to get her out of her head. Each group, she just wanted to teach. And so I said, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do as a group. Let's, let's go do a serve project together. So I thought, aha, I'll, we'll use the hands. So head, heart, hands. We'll get the hands kind of dirty and see if that uh, affects the head. And so uh, somebody said, well, let's go, let's go help a, a family. And so we, we identified uh, most of my relatives are pretty poor. And so um, I, I identified an uncle who I really didn't know that well. And I said, hey, we could serve him. It's pretty poor, you know. So I went up, I drove up to his place, and I said, hey, would you be okay if we brought you some food and some groceries? And he was awkward about it. And I said, just please, it's about us, not about you, really. But, you know. And so he's like, okay. Okay. So, so I tell the home group, we got somebody, right? And so we make a list. The gals get together, you know, and they, they're calling, and they're making a list of groceries, and they're all they're shopping together, you know. And then the guys are splitting some firewood, and we're going to – so we got the truck full of firewood. We got a, another car full of groceries. The guys are going up in the trucks. The, the gals in the car. We get there, and they weren't – and I said poor. I just said poor because it's all relative to how you grow up, Right. So I didn't have electricity for 5, 10, 10 years. So when I say uh, my uncle uh, had a, a little shack, no windows, and there was boards on this shack, and it looks like nobody lives there. And they pull up, and they get out, and now this gal, is, is I see the look on her face. She goes, does somebody live here? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they go, are they home? I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, they're, they're home. And so we go up, we knock on the door, and the door opens up, and, uh, and uh, my aunt, which I really don't know her, I call her aunt, but uh, she up, she's blind, so she can't see. And so she's kind of, she can barely see a little bit, and she's kind of hobbling the door, and she's like, oh, you know. Well, the, our home group was like, like whoa. And so the guy says, hey, you know, this is Ralph, Uncle Ralph, this is uh, my home group, and kind of met him, and he's like, 
tearful that the groceries are coming in to this, this little shack and they're bringing him in and, and the heart of this gal starts melting. I mean, just weeping. Mm. Um, here's why is, is there's a lot of head knowledge, but she never got in the game. You know, she hadn't did ministry. I'm talking, get your hands wet. So she'd never seen where they hung a string across part of this little thing and they were reusing their paper towels. So, you know, that's not the way, you know, she's living and the way I was living. At the, so this is, and she was just, well, well, then my uncle, he's like, oh yeah, he's curious. Like, what are you guys doing? What's this about? Well, he goes, man, he goes, I, and this is what he said. He goes, I've accepted Jesus, Luke, as my Lord and Savior. He was a long time ago. He goes, but I've never been baptized. And so we're like, would you like us to baptize? He goes, absolutely. And he goes, but I want to do it in a real river, you know? And so we go down to the Ponderé River. <laughs> oh, it's cold. Oh. And so our home group now went from a serving thing to now we're, we're going to baptize a Ralph. And so we go down as a group. It's a, I think it's a Thursday evening. And we go down there and the water's cold. I mean, it's cold, 40 degrees. And uh, so I'm baptizing my uncle. Well, at this time, I take an opportunity to call my younger brother. Because at the time, he's addicted to, not addicted, he was taking meth, and he's, he's lost. And I call him, hey, we're baptizing Ralph. He's like, oh, I said, Uncle Ralph. He's like, who? I'm like, you know, our uncle. He's like, who? I'm doing whatever I can to get him to come, right? So he, he shows up to help baptize. He's never, never been involved in this. Well, so we are a home group. We're baptizing Ralph. And right before we baptize him, my, uh, my oldest boy takes off his shirt. At the time, he's like 11, 10 or 11. And off goes his shirt, and he wades out there with his dad, which is me. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that part of the of the baptism. Does that make sense? Like, whoa! So now here's my son and I out in the this water with our home group, and they're all there, and we're baptizing him. And uh, oh my goodness, it was it was really cool. This gal to this day serves at real life, and she is all in for uh, what God can do. And so I got to see it go from the the head to the hands to the heart. Your brother actually accepted the Lord, too, yeah, out yep. that whole experience. Yeah, I got both my older brother and younger brother both know the Lord and have a pretty strong walk. And so, praise God. Yeah. All right. So, I, I want you to understand, do you see the difference between attending a church and being a church at this point? Um, there's a place for systems, but where do systems, when you put them together, what does it actually equal? Where does it lead to? What's the result? The result is everyday people feeling equipped, trained, empowered to try and fail and be coached and succeed. You've heard, uh, I, I think, I don't remember where I said this in one of the sessions or maybe it was somewhere else, but um, a lot of churches are like, you don't get to do anything until you're excellent. But how do you ever get excellent if you don't get to play? Like in football, would you expect somebody to sit on the bench, never get in the game to get excellent? Does it just happen that way or do they have to be able to try and fail? And, and let me ask you this. Did Jesus let his people try and fail? Right? You know, you know um, Jesus started with the guys, right? And at first it might be... Um, moving people out of the way, might be picking up loaves and fishes. Pretty soon he's sending them out by twos, bringing them back, debriefing them. Then he's going to send them out by twos again, bringing them back, debriefing them. They're trying to cast out demons. They fail. He comes in, has to step in, gives further training. Jesus, everything he did moved people from the crowd to relationship, to ministry in relationship. He didn't use relationship to disciple somebody and then send them out alone. He used relationship to put people in continuing relationship so they could serve together. Make sense to you? He sent them out by twos. Why? Because as they went out to serve, they needed to be in relationship because part of how God strengthens people to do the ministry is in relationship. And so, as you start to unpack this, this story, Luke asked a really good question. What would happen if people came to your church? Uh, you know, he didn't really talk about this much, but when he went into the first churches he went to, people would, in one church they handed him a bulletin, but nobody shook 
his hand. Nobody said hi to him. Everybody went in, went out. There was very little communication. When he came to real life, it was shake hands, shake hands, hug, shake hands, relationship. But, but all those people were volunteers. And all those people weren't just serving on a Sunday morning. They were all in life groups. So sooner or later, he's, somebody's going to go, you're new here? Why don't you come to my life group? It wasn't, you know, just, you know, if, if fill out a card if you want to be in a life group. We do that too. Right? Sometimes people get in life groups that way. But it was people inviting people to their life groups. It was people feeling empowered to serve and to, and to, and to do things independent where they learned they could do that. Where they learned they're supposed to do that. In the regular church world, is that what normally happens? They, these people are serving, caring, inviting people into relationship, doing all this. Where did they learn they could do that? And that's the job of a, of a pastor is not just to preach it, but to set up systems where we coach it, teach it, they live it, and then pretty soon they reproduce what they live. Are you, are you guys understanding? Now, let's go back to, we said there's a destination. Spiritual maturity is what? Well, we're, if the, that is, you're, you love God, love others. You're part of, you're following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. Tim believed that he was a follower of Jesus. He was being changed by Jesus. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't changed. He was being changed, which is why he could act like he wasn't perfect. And he'd go, hey, I, I struggle too. You know, Tim used to say, yeah, me and my wife got in a fight too. Here's where I'm at. And he'd let, he speak the truth into, it, it, he, he set the standard in honesty and transparency, not that he had it figured out, but that he, he was growing in Christ, which meant that that opened up the door for Luke to share his struggles, right? So Tim is being changed by Jesus. He's committed to the mission of Jesus. He, he wasn't, his job wasn't just to bring him to church so Jim Putman could do an altar call. Tim is the one who closed the deal with Luke in accepting Christ. Make sense to you? Can I add? Yeah. Here's what's cool. So for me, coming from the non-Christian to accepting Jesus, to volunteer, to staff on our executive team. And then, so for me, I have a heart for uh, the lost, but I also have a heart for uh, helping churches because I didn't realize as I, as real life was growing, we had pastors coming to real life just because of the growth going, hey, what's going on? So we formalized a kind of a training to kind of walk them through what the Lord was showing us there. That training is the two-day disciple shift one training that's on the back. What I love about this is that getting to know the heart of pastors and knowing that they want desperately to see the lost come to know the Lord, see lives being transformed, legacies changed. I mean, just generation after generation, they have a heart to do that, but they're operating on a Sunday paradigm only. And so for me, it's a heart, you know, because having a business before and having built things, I was super excited to, uh, and Jim gave me an opportunity to build out a training and get the real life team, other pastors and strengthen it. So we have a two day training that pastors from all across the country pull off the training. So meaning when we invested in a couple churches, we asked those churches to walk out what we're saying. They started walking us out. This is very biblical. They're like, we're getting amazing results. This is awesome. So we said, hey, would you help train other churches then? They're like, absolutely. So that's why we formed a network. The network has different denominations in it. Our board is different denominations. And these people, when they start walking, these pastors start walking this out, we said, hey, would you be interested? Because you have a track record of doing this, would you be interested in spending two to three days with another church helping them through this? And they said, absolutely. And so what we did is we called those churches our mentor coaching churches that would be willing to coach. And so like right now we have Brandon Gindon back there. Brandon, raise your hand if you would. So Brandon's a, a mentor coaching church. Bob Reed over here is our mentor coaching church. We have a variety of coaching churches that have been walking us out for four, five, six, seven years. And we're, we go to them and go, hey, would you help coach other churches? And so that's our network. And we do the two-day training is the first step. If you're interested in spending 20 hours uh, going in this direction, that's what we set up. Yeah, and this is the important part of it. This is not how we do the training. Us talking, you listening. It's all experiential. That's why we limit it to 100 and we have, 
you're in a small group from the time you get there till the time you leave so that you actually get to see what a small group designed for discipleship looks like. Because again, most pastors have never been discipled, don't know how to lead. They know, they know how to lead a Bible study in a small group, but we're not asking to lead a Bible. We're asking to facilitate discipleship in a small group. It's different. And so you get a chance to see what it looks like and experience it so that you now have, you're like, okay, now I see. Because again, most people don't learn best by hearing about it. They have to experience it. How do you reproduce something you've never experienced? And, and that comes from Luke. Uh, you know, um, we, back then we, were, we could have uh, very easily slipped into a let's talk, talking head to people. And Luke's like, no, that's not how you learn. That's not how you change. So if we don't believe that should happen in small groups, why would we do a, a seminar that way? Which is, begs the question, and normally we, we have, invite all of our mentor coaching churches here, and then there'd be somebody sitting at your table leading, we'd discuss it for a little, and then you'd do it. So um, uh, we hope you guys will uh, think about that. Love to show you what that looks like, and it changes your life. It changes people's life. It changes you as a leader's life, because again, I didn't, I didn't get one to the Lord and get excited about spinning all the plates in a church and running an organization where I'm separated from people coming to know Christ. Seeing people come to know Christ fuels me. And so often we start doing the business of church and that drains me. I can put up with the business side, organizational side of church as long as I still get to experience transformation of life that reminds me why I do what I do. That's what I want for you guys. It, what's cool is that uh, we, I do believe we're stronger together. I do believe that. And so I do, uh, like, you saw a picture of my kids. And I know a lot of you guys have kids in here. I want to be able to, if my kids don't for some reason end up having a walk with the Lord or a really strong walk with the Lord, I want to be able to call a church where they live and say, go get them. And you actually would go and get them. Because you've raised up an army that would go into the community. Because if a lot of people won't come into the building, that's like bonus if they come into the building, right? That's awesome. But man, that's why I get excited because maybe you have some lost kids, and you're gonna want to go. Hey, let's 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 send a disciple maker to them. You know, to me that's awesome. So that's what propels for me personally. It's exciting. And uh, our next session is gonna be on the disciple making process. The part, what's my part as a discipler, what's their part as a disciple, and what is God's part. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to check out the free primer for The Death of Discipleship by Jim Putman and Chad Harrington by going to discipleship.org slash relational. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.